There are over 300,000 Protestant churches in the United States. Only 10% of those are, are larger than 350. Uh, if you took every church in America, every Protestant church, from, and you lined them up from smallest to largest, and you took the median, the, the one right in the middle, uh, its size would be 75. The vast majority of churches in, in our country uh, never grow larger than 125. They call it the 125 barrier. Uh, and now people have researched this ad nauseum because uh, they're curious. Why do most churches kind of bump up to, against 125 and never quite get through that? And the, the consensus is uh, it's, it's all about uh, leadership style and organizational structure. Uh, that um, smaller churches, when they start and as they go, they, they have a very relational-based structure. And, and, uh, and that has to change if the church wants to keep growing because that kind of a relational-based uh, structure has limitations. And, and those limitations are structurally right up about 125. And, and so um, if, if a church, if a growing church is not willing to adapt its uh, organizational structure, it will stop growing. And it's just proven all over the place. Now, why grow, right? There is an, by the way, Clearwater Church, we are right there. We've been averaging about 125 now for, for a few months. We're just right at that, at that barrier. And you know, there are some wonderful things about our size. I like knowing the names of most people in the room. I like officing out of my house. It's great. Wake up in the morning, I have my coffee, I go back into my house. And uh, it's a good thing. And I know that uh, as we grow, that will change, right? One of the, when, when Jason comes, I'm going to have to exit my house office at least a few days a week to be with him. And, and so there are some, you know, growth has some... Uh, some challenges, it has, there's some loss associated with it. Why do we do it? Hey, right now we're a big enough size, we pay the bills. My salary, I get a full salary. Thank you, everybody. We have, uh, we, you know, we've got money in the bank as a church. Why, why grow? Why take on that, uh, you know, the, lo the, the loss that comes with that? It's all about the mission, right? Uh, God has given us, Clearwater Church, he's given us a mission. And the mission is make disciples Teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And uh, I, I don't think that mission is supposed to grind to a halt. Uh, and in Scripture, I, I don't see where we're supposed to say, okay, you know, that's enough people. Uh, we want to have an, uh, an expanding impact for Christ. And in our text today, uh, we see that the early church confronted this same um, uh, barrier to growth. And they, they addressed it with wisdom and humility and success. And as a result, the, er, the early church was able to continue growing. And so we're going to look at what they did and apply it to our situation because there's great Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom here. Turn in, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking today at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. I'm reading. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, 
it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, Nicol, Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, Notice that this story begins and ends with a discussion about church growth. Verse 1, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, the church is growing. Um, but now that church growth uh, presents a problem. But then it ends with, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So uh, a growing church faces um, the, the pains of growth, an obstacle to continued growth. They deal with it in wisdom, uh, appropriately, wisely, and what's the result? The church keeps growing. Keeps growing. What's the presenting problem? The presenting problem is that the Hellenist widows, some of them are being overlooked in the daily distribution. What is that? Okay, so all of these early Christians are Jews. They're all Jews. This is taking place in Jerusalem. But within Jewish society, you have Jews who grew up in Palestine, who speak uh, Aramaic uh, or Hebrew, and then you have Jews who have emigrated back to the Holy Land, and they are Hellenist, which is Greek. They speak Greek. So you have a language difference. You have some cultural difference. They, they've all got the blood of Abraham in them. And now they're all Christians. They're all part of the Christian community. But you've got some who speak one language and some who, you know, some who speak Aramaic, some who speak Greek. And the problem is the widows who speak Greek, some of them are being neglected. Uh, uh, they're not getting the daily distribution of food. Early Christians... Uh, included as part of what they did as a community. If there were widows uh, who could not care for themselves, people with real need, um, they took care of them. There is actually daily they went around and uh, they made sure everybody had food to eat in the community. Now, that's the presenting problem. But the disciples say there's a danger here. They don't, that is a problem, and that's something that's broken and needs to be fixed. They acknowledge that. But they also say there's a danger that by fixing one problem, we create another. And what is that danger? And it says right here in chapter 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The apostles identify a danger. The danger is that we're going to, uh, if we don't solve this problem correctly, we might create another problem. And that other problem is we end up uh, forgetting about outreach or backing away from outreach in order to do inreach. Some people call this replacing windows for mirrors. A church needs to have a lot of windows. 
What do you do with windows? You look out windows and you to the world outside and you see the people walking past and you notice those who don't yet know Jesus, who aren't yet followers of Christ. And, and then you talk about them and you strategize how you're going to reach them and then you go out and you reach them. A church needs lots of windows. But, but as people come into the community, what does Christ say? Go into all the world, make disciples, and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So there's also, once they come in, well, they have needs. And so we do have to have mirrors looking at the, at the needs within our body, and we need to, to meet those real needs. And so a healthy church, a balanced church, is a church that has both windows and mirrors. But the apostles are identifying a danger. They're like, look, if, if we don't solve this problem wisely, uh, we might be replacing our mirrors with our windows. I'm sorry, replacing our windows with mirrors. We might become out of balance. We might become a church that's inward focus and not outward focus. And you know what? A lot of churches get there, don't they? A lot of churches get there. How might the apostles have addressed this issue? Uh, well, first off, the apostles might have said what you know, most leaders are tempted to do. We're going to have to work harder. Twelve of us? We're responsible for the church. We're the apostles. And uh, we're just going to have to uh, burn the midnight oil. We're going to have to work a little harder here because there's something broken in our church and it's up to us to go fix it. And that is a temptation. Leaders, that's I think our knee-jerk reaction, right? What? Something's broken? I, I better go fix the thing. But had they done that, they realized wisely we are limited even we apostles, you know, they're apostles and they're limited. They've got limited time and energy. And if we go spend more time on the distribution of the food, then that's going to mean less time focused on the ministry of the word and prayer. And if we, do, if we, if we solve this problem, we're going to create another problem because something is going to suffer. But they could have done that. And uh, I think uh, most leaders, that's our default reaction. Secondly, uh, they could have just buried their heads in the sand and said, I, or, or done nothing. They could have said, recognize it's a broken, I know, I know it's broken, but we've got to focus on what Christ called us to do, which is, you know, uh, we, we're gifted and called to be the proclaimers of the gospel. We've got to stay focused on the priority for us. And I'm just, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to live with that broken, brokenness in the church. Uh, they could have done that. But look at, boy, there was all, if they had done that, if they had just allowed this to continue, there is a complaining against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So you've got the possibility of kind of racial, racial divide, bickering, anger, distrust, hurt feelings, people spending their time talking about how the church is failing them and who's to blame, right? There are all kinds of, had they let this continue broken, this would have created, this was a big deal. Could have really divided the church. So they chose the wise option, the Holy Spirit inspired option, which is we're going to have to change our structure. We're going to have to empower new leaders and hand over to them responsibility for this uh, important ministry and give them the authority to go act. Let's talk about what the apostles did, what the congregation did, what the seven did. 
First off, what did the apostles do? They did three things. Number one, uh, the apostles prioritized the need. By the way, uh, we're not there yet. Next year, we're going to begin uh, establishing our formal governance. Uh, we're going to have elders around here. And uh, the elders, in my opinion, function here as the apostles in this text. And uh, so the first thing that the apostles do is they prioritize the need. They say, yes, this is broken and this needs to be fixed now. This is a big deal. We can't just let this one uh, continue. This is not good for us. We need, to, we need to fix it. So they prioritize the need. They say, this needs to be dealt with. Uh, number two, they envision... They envision the solution. It's the elders who obviously are, I'm sorry, the apostles who are brainstorming. And they're like, how do we solve this? Okay, we need seven guys. They ought to be able to take care of it. But they need to have certain qualifications. Uh, they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to have a great reputation in the community. And they got to have wisdom. You know, so there's spiritual ability uh, and practical ability and relational. Boy. People started to write books about this, right? Spiritual intelligence, relational, uh, emotional intelligence, and, and capability. These apostles were ahead of their time. Holy Spirit tends to be ahead of time. And so they, yeah, they envision the solution, and then they're the ones who uh, em empower the leaders. Uh, notice in the text, the apostles lay their hands upon the seven. They essentially commission them ordain them to go do the job, which is the apostles saying, uh, you know, Christ, the head of the church, has entrusted to us leadership of the church. Uh, we are now delegating to you uh, our part of our authority to go take care of this, right? That was their role. What about the congregation? What did the congregation do? They, number one, they recruited the leaders. I love that. Uh, this is a brilliant strategy. Uh, because oftentimes, uh, leaders feel the responsibility of going out and recruiting the other leaders. The apostles tell the congregation, I want you guys to go s uh, a select who you think will, uh, will be able to solve. They, they gave them the qualifications. It's the kind of people we're looking for. You go uh, select them. Bring them to us. So you can imagine all the conversations that were happening within the church community. Hey, Stephen, I think you'd be perfect for this job. I don't want to do that. No, no, seriously. You know, you're filled with the Spirit. You're super wise. and Everybody loves you. They, you know, Mrs. Smith would just love it if you knocked on the door and brought her some, her bag of groceries. She'd just think that was rocking. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm super busy. Parmenas, Parmenas, you better do this because I don't want to, okay? Get up there. And uh, so somehow they, uh, <laughs> the congregation, they, uh, they challenge each other and um, raise up these leaders. Second thing the congregation does is they, and this is absolutely critical, they make a decision to accept care from someone other than an apostle. Hey, I want Peter showing up with my bag of groceries because he's awesome. He could heal me too. Like if I had any problems, you know, he can do more. <laughs> Philip. He's okay too, but he, you know, these apostles are awesome. I don't know about this Nicolaus guy. What is this? Come on. Who is he? This is a big deal, right? Hey, when I'm in the hospital, I want the pastor to show up. God likes him more. That's not true, by the way. Um, 
So the congregation, this is a big deal. Congregation had to say, we are willing to accept care from someone other than an apostle. Why did they do that? They did that because they recognized if the church is going to keep growing, if the gospel is going to keep going forth, we've got to be willing to adjust. We've got to be willing to take some losses for the sake of the cause, for the sake of the gospel. And so they said, okay, yeah, an apostle doesn't have to show up to give me care. I'll, I'll, I'll accept care from other qualified, these are qualified people, by the way. Uh, this is not ministry light. Uh, waiting on tables is not ministry light. In fact, in the text where it says, um, in verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The word in the Greek there is minister. Same uh, is to is the same word as in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Serving tables, ministry of the word, it's the same, um, the same word there, which is minister. It's not, this is not ministry light. It has to do with division of labor. Outreach and inreach are vo- both critical to a healthy church. Now, the apostles had been selected by the Lord, invested, poured into for three years, taught, They were uniquely gifted and uh, qualified to be the teachers of the church. That was their role. But they recognized this other ministry is critical for our church to be healthy. But you know what? Other qualified people can do that just as well as we can. So it's not ministry light. It's it's ministry. And, and And the seven recognized this needs to be done for the church to be healthy and uh, stepped up. So that's the last, the last thing. What did the seven do? Well, the seven had to step up. They had to say, I mean, they knew this is going to take time and energy. It's going to cut into my life. But the church needs it done. I'll step up. I will do that. And they raised their hand or, you know, allowed to be pushed forward, however that worked. And they stepped up. So, to me, there are just three takeaways that just jump off, jump out of this story. Number one, it's for those who are in leadership uh, in the church. At any given time, those who are in leadership have to be willing to empower new leaders. And and that means uh, giving up authority and handing over responsibility. By the way, you don't give people responsibility without giving them authority. Uh, sometimes we like to do that. You're in charge of that. I'm going to make all the decisions, right? You just do what I tell you to do. No, a, a ministry like this, they're saying you seven are in charge of it and you go run it the way you want to run it. You just need to do it in a way that gets the job done and uh, is godly, right? And they give them responsibility, give them authority. And so as leaders, uh, if we want the church to go, we have to be willing to empower uh, new leaders, more leaders, hand over, uh, hand over authority and responsibility in the church. Secondly, uh, by the way, I am committed to this. Let me tell you this. Um, I know that this is necessary for Clearwater Church to be healthy, and I am absolutely committed to empowering other leaders. And, and if you don't think I'm doing on it, please call me on it, because the mission is at stake. Uh, secondly, Second big takeaway, the congregation has to accept care from more than just the pastor. 
You've got to be willing to accept care from other qualified leaders. And you know what? I, I am amazed. When you read the church planting books, they basically say in the early years, you're going to be hard-pressed to find other qualified leaders in your church. That's not the case here at Clearwater Church. Uh, th this, play, this room is filled with men and women who uh, have walked with the Lord for a long time, who are filled with the Spirit, who have a lot of wisdom and a great reputation. Um, and so we don't have that problem. We've got qualified people here. And so, uh, and then thirdly, the qualified people have to step up. <laughs> you know who you are. No. Uh, you know, you've been, the Lord's been grooming you in his school of leadership for how long? Make use of it. Make use of it. And we've got to step up. All right, there is a, uh, let me bring this to a head with very, something very practical. By the way, I didn't preach this sermon in order to make this point. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a series on the book of Acts. This is our text for today, and it just seemed like this is the time to roll this out. So for, for a while now, I have had a, what we call an aspirational goal. An aspirational goal is something you aspire to, but you're not executing. I have an aspirational goal that everyone who attends Clearwater Church will receive a call at least twice a year. Checking up on them uh, in three areas. Number one, how are you doing spiritually? Number two, are you, getting, are you relationally connected at the church? How's that going? Uh, and number three, do you, are you serving? Do you have a meaningful ministry at our church? To me, this is like baseline pastoral care that I aspire to provide. My default, of course, is I'll make those calls. But this has remained an aspirational goal, a goal that I have not been executing on. Why? Because I've got all this other stuff to do. And so I, I really uh, feel, and I, I talked it through with Chris, that now's the time to say uh, there are other qualified people who can take on this ministry. And so very practically, uh, I'm looking for, we're looking for four women, four men. I want women to call women, men to call men. Um, there are about 150 adults who uh, consider uh, Clearwater Church their home church. If, if uh, everybody got two, call, uh, two calls a year, that's 300 calls. If every call's 20 minutes, that's 100 hours. Uh, it's doable, but it requires, uh, it's going to require time and energy, focus, and so my, I'm asking you, would you please raise up those leaders? So very practically, if you think that you're qualified and you uh, would like to consider doing this, would you please see Chris Kefalos? Chris, would you stand? So there's no question. Talk to this man right here. Uh, and if you think you know somebody who would do a good job, talk to Chris, and he'll take names. And so then Chris will uh, run point on um, forming this team. Uh, let me ask, does that seem like a, a goal that we'd like to make non-aspirational but reality? Does that, does that seem to you like, uh, maybe I shouldn't require you to cheer or anything, but uh, to me, I'm just like, we need to be doing this. This is something I want to happen, and it, it can happen and will happen uh, if we apply these principles today. All about the mission. It's all about why do we exist? We exist to reach the world with the gospel, and then to teach the people who come to faith to obey all that Christ has commanded. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of people. 
Um, we are already being that kind of church. Uh, by the way, I, was, I forgot to mention earlier, but um, the mission trip that's going to Norvik this summer, we're having our first church mission trip led by Greg Balco. And uh, Greg wanted me to let you know that they, they're hoping to make the uh, tickets, uh, the plane tickets, purchase them by the end of this week. And so if you are um, wanting to go in your bulletin, there's Greg's contact info. And if you're wanting to go and you want to get kind of the early bird prices on those tickets, um, get in touch with Greg this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're not, uh, we're not here to just create a social club for ourselves. We're not here to be comfortable. We are on mission. All of us need to be on mission. And everyone who sets up the chairs, who sets up the children's ministry, the people who set out the food each week, make the coffee, Lord, um, who go out and knock on doors, invite their friends to church, lead music, lead a, a journey group, Lord. Um, all of these people are partners with me in ministry, and we are all servants of Jesus, the head of his church. And Lord, we don't want our impact to plateau, to grind to a halt, just because we aren't willing to be wise like the early church. We want to be wise. We want to be willing to adapt for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and just help us to have those kind of hearts, that kind of wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.